folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat uh, the hapless, the hopeless, the unfortunate Houston Rockets. Final score, 133-112. They were without... Uh, a lot. I mean, not. It actually felt like there was out a lot of guys, but they were just without Kevin Porter Jr., who they should be better without. But that Houston Rockets team is just really bad and it's unfortunate. But look, the Nuggets took care of business. That's what you want to see from them. And the most important thing for this Nuggets team is that they are rolling right now. The things that they need to have happen have happened so far. They are 44 and 19, absolutely on fire. The most important thing for this group is that they just kind of keep the flow going, make sure to build upon what they're doing. And it seems to me like the Nuggets have fully and truly thrived throughout this entire process. And it's very exciting to see. Uh, On this podcast, we are going to go over the starters in the first segment, the bench in the second segment, and then we're going to do some Western Conference playoff stuff in the final segment. I'll, I'll make sure to reference that horrible, awful, no good Lakers take from ESPN as well, which uh, I have some thoughts. So we will share that for sure. Uh, This was a great win though. And that's the first and foremost thing for this Nuggets team. And I think you got to start with Jamal Murray. I know that we're going to get to Jokic. Don't worry. We're going to get to that guy. He's pretty good. I understand that. But I really do think that in the, like this game, the story of the game in my mind was how good Jamal Murray was. He looked like he was injured. He looked like he was really hurting at the end of the Los Angeles Clippers game on Sunday night. I didn't even know if he made the trip uh, with the the team to Houston. And I thought that it would make sense if they decided to rest him. They could have won without him. There's no doubt about that. They'd have played a little bit of a different way. But Jamal makes the trip clearly feeling a little bit better than he was before. And it's nice to see those back issues kind of go away. Because we got a really, really nice game from Jamal tonight. He was just cooking. He was on fire. And the way that he played, he didn't force a single thing. I think he had a couple of late shot clock shots that uh, rimmed out or missed or whatever. But it felt like he was fully in control when he was out there and just uh, fully had Deshaun Nix or Jalen Green or, gosh, whoever else was out there. Uh, fully had them in his bag, uh, made sure that he... It was always one step ahead. He was aggressive. He was effective. 32 points, six assists, four rebounds. Really quality stuff. Was a plus 20 tonight in his 32 minutes. Led the team with 32 minutes. And to me, that makes a bit, that's a, that's kind of a big deal. Just based off of how Jamal has kind of gone through the ups and downs over the course of these last couple of games. And it looks like he's been hurting. So it's nice to see him just really lock in on that front, make sure that he is uh, fully good to go. And he did not look like he was hurting today. Maybe a little bit ginger at various points throughout the game. Like uh, there was a a transition attempt that I think that he would have dunked it. He would have really tried to hammer that home. Didn't quite get enough lift. Looked like he was grimacing a little bit. But in my mind, like he just, he looks normal. He looks like the guy that the Nuggets absolutely need. And it's really nice to see what he's been able to do. Uh, That was uh, just one of those things that I hope Denver 
never has to deal with going forward is like I would love to see Jamal fully healthy heading into the playoffs. And I know that a lot of people were thinking, hey, maybe rest him. Maybe uh, you don't need him without like you don't need him in this one. But he clearly wanted to play. And I'm glad that the training staff and the coaching staff really trusted that because you got a really nice, solid Jamal performance and you've got two days off before you play at home again. So Denver's going to need him. They're going to need him to be better. And he will be better at home than he was uh, against Memphis last uh, last weekend. So really good stuff from Jamal. Uh, deserves a lot of credit for playing the way that he did. Staggered with the bench in the second unit, uh, the second half. And I thought that that was okay. I thought that he had some good moments. Most of his good moments came when he was paired with Joker, though. Just kind of feeding off of the attention that Joker drew. And speaking of Joker, uh, his 100th career triple-double tonight. That's crazy. Like, eight seasons Joker has played. Eight seasons, which means that he's basically averaging... Right now, if he didn't have another triple-double for the rest of the season, he's averaging at least 12 and a half a a year. And that's a wild number. That is a wild, wild thing for a center. Somebody who, like, you're going to get triple-doubles by points, rebounds, and assists. It's very, very rare to get one with steals, to get one with blocks. For a center to be as good as, as Jokic is at facilitating the game, at passing his teammates open, at playing a connected brand of basketball and being able to do so at a relatively efficient level. I mean, and and Jokic does it with extreme efficiency, elite efficiency. For him to be able to do that is uh, stupid. As Rob Sheldon says on screen, Jokic plus 31 in 28 minutes is a crazy, crazy number. And to me, I thought my big takeaway from this game in general was just that this starting lineup between Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon, and KCP It is as connected of a unit as the Nuggets have ever had in their franchise history. There is no lineup that I can point to. There's no group that I can point to that plays this connected brand of basketball as well as the Nuggets do right now. Sure, there were some teams in the 80s that played pretty good basketball, uh, led by Alex English, Fat Lever, guys like that. Sure, the 2009 team with Carmelo Anthony and Chauncey Billups was really good. Did they play connected? Not really. It was a lot more about the the individual talents of Carmelo and Chauncey. Next, I mean, the 2013 team, maybe? The 57-win Nuggets, where they just ran teams out of the building? They had a formula. I'm not sure that that formula really persisted into the playoffs. I have no doubt that this formula will. Like, uh, knock on wood here. But, like, I think that this starting lineup, led by Nikola Jokic, is the best that the Nuggets have ever had. Is the most connected the Nuggets have ever had. And it says a lot about Jokic himself that on a night like tonight where he had Alper and Shangun in jail, uh, the dude was completely helpless in these moments. And Jokic, rather than try to bully him for the entire time, rather than try to go for a crooked point total himself, he was more than comfortable setting up Murray, setting up Porter, trying to get Gordon involved, trying to get KCP involved. Everybody was feasting with Jokic out there. And he's at the center of it all, being the the 10 assist guy that he is. He's averaging that number. He's been doing it crazy all season. And it feels to me like Denver is reaching a new pinnacle for what their starting lineup can do. And if this persists, then there's no doubt that he's going to win another another MVP. 
He's got to win, I think, the game against Embiid and, and really has to show up in that one, even if Embiid plays well. Like, if Jokic just has, like, a 25, 30-point triple-double, something like that, like, there's going to be no doubt in anybody's mind. Like, the way that he is playing, with the efficiency that he's playing, I think this is his 49th game in a row of 50-plus percent from the field. Like, who does this? Who does, like, for real, who does anything like what Jokic is doing? Uh, It's great to reminisce about Jokic's triple-doubles. I could say a whole heck of a lot more. I think I will probably save it for another podcast just because this one feels like it should just be about this game and then I've got some Western Conference playoff stuff planned. But it does feel like Jokic has leveled up in a lot of different ways this year. And it has come from being more unselfish. It has come from involving the team even more, making sure that everybody else is going so that Jokic can be at the center of it all and shine in a variety of different ways. Michael Porter Jr., 23 minutes, 17 points, just a very, 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 very effective game from Porter. Uh, He just never stops. It feels like the dude is on the best run of his career. It feels like Michael Porter is playing the best version of basketball that we have ever seen from him. And it's not just like the volume shooting or the volume rebounds or anything like that. It really is just how he is fitting into what he's supposed to do. He hasn't had bad games and outside of the Memphis game where I think everybody had a bad game. But it just feels like he has been so engaged and effective and willing to do what it takes for the team to win. He's had some great offensive and defensive moments this year. And it feels like I'm beating a dead horse with this, but he has become a two-way player in the way that he has impacted the game as a defensive guy. He switches out onto other guards, centers, guys like that. And sometimes those guys score on him. That is what it is. But there is no there is no feeling of helplessness with him anymore. It feels like he can do these things. And I think back in 2021, when he was facing off against Dame in the playoffs, facing off against Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and the Phoenix Suns, there was a feeling of helplessness with him on the defensive end that you just did not know what to do with him. He had to be out there for Denver to score, but when he was out there, the Nuggets were getting cooked. And I just don't feel that way anymore about him. He is engaged. He knows what he's supposed to do. He executes the scheme really well. And then he, on top of it, has this six foot ten frame with a seven foot wingspan and surprises people with the contests that he can get. Like the dude is everywhere. And for him to be this good defensively, I know this is against the Rockets, but like we've seen this against the Clippers. We've seen this against a lot of teams. It, it isn't just a a thing where Michael Porter is shining against the Rockets because it's not that. He had a couple turnovers today where he's dribbling into traffic, kind of had the ball ripped away run from him one time by Tari Eason, who really, really solid rookie who is just fantastic. I got to imagine, though, that there was some growth in Porter's overall offensive game today. The two assists that he had, there was one to Murray and there was one to Jokic. I remember them vividly in the first quarter. The first one was to Jokic, where he is dribbling in the middle of the paint and uses his size, uses his frame to dump off the ball right to Jokic at the free throw line, 
where he has one dribble, spins, and, and hits a hook shot or some, some shot like that in the middle of the paint. Really great setup for Porter, not trying to force anything, doing great stuff. The second one was actually offense initiated by Porter, where he kind of ran point on a possession. He would dribble the ball up the court, passed it off to Jokic, got the ball back on a DHO, dribbled left, saw that Murray was getting free, and passed him the ball. And Murray hit a three on the left wing. And it sounds simple when I say it like that, but the Nuggets have been doing this thing over the course of this year where they have switched the roles of all of their guys on the offensive end of the floor. Sometimes Jokic is running that position. Most of the time it's Murray, who then comes off the DHO, dribbles, and then passes it to Porter on the left wing, who's getting a screen from KCP or Aaron Gordon, one of those guys. But Denver has done such a great job of using everybody in every single role. And I think the final addition to that is having Porter initiate some offense. And to see him be able to do that, again, it's against the Rockets, to see them am able to do that is really, really encouraging. Where you don't know, like, he's not going to be a guy who averages five assists a night, but he doesn't need to be. KCP has nights where, and like tonight, I think he had like six assists. He doesn't average that many. He averages like three. I think that Porter can get up to a point where he averages two or three assists a night. Right now, he's at one flat. And I do think that the next part of his game where he can continue to grow is as a ball handler, as a creator, where he sets up Murray. He sets up Porter. He sets up Casey, or not Porter. He sets up Jokic. He sets up KCP. He sets up everybody else on the floor. Because right now, MPJ is kind of the receiver for all of these passes, whether it's kickouts, whether it's dump offs, whether it's cuts, whatever. I think that when he can dish it out as much as he is like uh, receiving these passes, he is going to level up into one of the better two-way wings of the entire NBA. And he is still on that track, which is really, really encouraging. Really quickly here, we'll go over Aaron Gordon and KCP before hitting a break. Um, Also, I want to acknowledge this. MPJ never passed the ball to Joker. That's just not true. Like, he passes them all the time. Um, He definitely passes the ball to Joker. Like, we don't need to. We need to go over this, dude. Uh, it, that's like, how How do you think like they have their two-man game? Like, Jokic passes the ball to MPJ, and then MPJ runs around. If he doesn't get an angle, then he's going to get a cut. But he first, like, before he cuts, he passes it off to Joker and then cuts. So, like, that's just how this works. So, it is not a, like, I think that this is a thing where you're just kind of seeing what you want to see. Aaron Gordon. Very low usage night for AG, 11 points on 6 of 7, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, plus 19. Only 21 minutes is great because it looked like Aaron Gordon took a tumble into the cameraman, uh, like right along the baseline when he was fighting for a possession. And it looked like he was grabbing at his rib. That's never a good sign, given that he's dealing with a rib contusion. So low minutes for AG, low minutes for those guys. It feels to me like this was a, because it was a matter of fact win that Denver didn't really need to push AG in this one. And that's great. But there were a lot of great possessions, including right at the end. There was the the play that Denver ran right at the end of the first half where there, it looks like it's going to Murray. It's two-man action with Murray and, and AG. 
and AG cuts to the basket and Joker finds him right right before the halftime buzzer. And that put up Denver 74 to 54. And it was just over at that point. There was just no reason for anybody to play again in the second half. So that's kind of what happened, if we're being honest. I thought that uh, AG just kind of filled in the gaps for what he needed to do. It was a very quiet 11-7-5, and and that's what you want from a night like this. You do not want to stand out in any of the wrong ways on a night against the Houston Rockets. Like, you just need to do your job. And AG did his job to perfection. Although I do think his defense was a little bit lacking, which, given the rib contusion, understandable. KCP, finally here. 30 minutes, 14 points. He staggered with the second unit in the first half and, like, had six assists had two steals, does a lot of good things where he is filling in the gaps for what the team needs. Still was a plus 18 in this. A lot of that did obviously come from the starting unit. Uh, Second unit, I think, definitely struggled while he was out there, but I don't think it was really his fault. He did a lot of good things with that group. He was kind of asked to isolate at various points. He was asked to uh, create a lot, which you don't necessarily want. You want Reggie Jackson to be the guy to do that. And you want KCP to be the guy who benefits from the creation. And then he spaces the floor. He cuts. He plays defense. And he did those things tonight. And it wasn't a big deal. But uh, only two of five from three tonight for KCP. How dare he? It was just a uh, how dare he. Six assists, like I said. I mean, it, it was a good night. It was very, very clearly a good night for KCP. All right. Let's take another break. Or let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go over... Uh, just everything that happened with the bench unit. There's there's a lot to cover with that, of course. But first, this podcast, as you know, folks, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer, computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app now and use uh, or, and via or visit the Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe and roll Ryan Blackman here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, folks. If you can, it would be awesome if you could uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. But also give this a like on YouTube if we're watching right now. I see some folks in the chat. If you could give this a like, that really does help. Uh, Thank you, 5555-ish. See you you on the DNVR show. Gotta love it. Uh, Gotta pad those likes, folks. That definitely helps out. The, The algorithm definitely helps out everything going into this podcast. So thank you so much if you do. All right, let's get back into this. Let's talk about the first half bench lineup. It's a little bit different from the second half group. Uh, As I mentioned, KCP doing his thing with this first half group. This is a, a unit that I think a lot of Nuggets fans have hope for. This is a unit that a lot of Nuggets fans, they want to see this group do well. And I'm not surprised. Like, 
I, I think you saw the Bones, KCP, Bruce Brown, Vlaco Chanchar, Zeke Naji group, the one from basically the first half of the season. You saw that do pretty well. And there's a reason to believe that this group could be pretty good against uh, teams like the Rockets, against teams like, I don't know, any any non-playoff lineup, basically. Bench lineups, especially. Like, this should be a good unit. It wasn't good. Uh, Thomas Bryant was out there, and his plus-minus on the night wasn't great. He was minus 10 in his 23 minutes, or his 20 minutes. And that's not great in a in a night where Jokic was plus 31. It's not a big deal. I don't, I don't want to make it a big deal because, look, Denver's trying to work on some things. But to me, it does feel like this lineup should be good. There, there should be things that do well with this group. And I hope that the Nuggets can figure it out going forward. But should start with Bruce Brown. Actually, no. Second half bench group did have Jamal Murray in place of KCP. It didn't really fare that much better. I think it was even. And the first half group was basically like minus eight. So I guess it did fare better. But with you're going up against the Houston Rockets. Like Usman Garuba was the matchup for... Uh, he was the matchup for Thomas Bryant for much of the uh, first and second half. And then right at the end, Boban Marjanovic comes in and just he makes Thomas Bryant look small, which that's pretty hard to do. Thomas Bryant's a big seven-footer. So hopefully that's not a, a thing. I, I, we'll talk about Thomas in just a bit. Bruce Brown, uh, let's go first half bench lineup here. I thought that Bruce Brown was fine in this game. He played 27 minutes. He got the DPOG chain, did some good things on both ends of the floor, but uh, one steal, two blocks is good. He did have some things where I thought he got, uh, I thought he was disconnected a little bit, gave up an offensive rebound to Tari Eason at the beginning of the game, gave up some other looks to various guys. And I'm starting to think that, like, look, it's game 63 of the regular season. It is against the Houston Rockets. It doesn't surprise me that kind of dealing with stuff, stuff like this where, Maybe Bruce Brown isn't super engaged on the defensive end right now. He did get the DPOG chain, so I'm, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth right now. But I do think that there is room for improvement here. I do think that Bruce Brown, there, there are a lot of uh, him raising his hand on defense where he makes a mistake, whether it's in transition, whether it's in half court and he's not boxing out, whether it's stuff like that. I expect that from Reggie Jackson. I expect that from Thomas Bryant. Those guys are new. Those guys are trying to figure things out. They're not good defenders. Bruce Brown is a good defender. He is a guy who you should be counting upon in in these moments. And maybe he will be. Maybe he's still a guy that you just get him into the right situation against the right team, and and he will thrive in particular matchups. I I hope that Denver gets to see that against John Morant on Friday night. That would be the best thing for them. Whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen, but he did have 15 points. Did have three rebounds. I don't think he had an assist tonight. Uh, Let me just confirm that. No, he didn't. Uh, But the 15 points came on six of 11, three of six from three. Making three threes is a good good thing for Bruce. He'd been going through a little bit of a shooting slump, so nice to see him. It looks like he's kind of pulling out of that a little bit. But I do think that the floater, we've talked about this on previous shows, it's got to (laughs) go. Like, Drive to the rim, finish through contact, draw some free throws. Again, 
This is uh, one of those complaints that I have. It is against the Rockets. This is a game that doesn't necessarily matter as much as uh, a matchup against Memphis where you really have to attack the rim. But I do think that there are definitely some times that it looks like Bruce Brown is struggling just a little bit to find his rhythm offensively when he's not spotting up for a wide open three. So hopefully he can figure it out. Hopefully he can do the things that he needs to do. But I do think that Bruce is somebody that I look for to lead the bench unit because he's going to be kind of the stagger guy with the starters. So he's going to be one of the first guys in. He's going to be a guy that they rely upon. Definitely has to set the tone with that group. And I think he's the best guy slated to do that. So we will see. Reggie Jackson. Better night for Reggie Jackson tonight. There were some moments where you you don't necessarily like the shots, where you don't necessarily like the possession-by-possession looks. But in general, I thought he ran the team pretty well. I thought he did some good things offensively. And it wasn't just like, look, he went 4 of 11 for the field, 1 of 4 from 3. It wasn't necessarily the most efficient night from him as a scorer. But 8 assists to 1 turnover is a great ratio. That is a great number for Reggie Jackson. And to me, Denver needs that distribution. It's something that Bones wasn't really providing with that group. And and like Bones is capable of doing that on various nights and, and was capable at times, but it wasn't a consistent thing. This might, like, I have to keep going back to this being one of the worst teams in the NBA, but let's just assume that it's a normal team. If Reggie Jackson can have five assists off the bench every single game, that is going to really help facilitate good offense. Vlatko's a good facilitator. He will also have some assists. More often than not, Bruce Brown will also have some, some assists. Whoever's staggering with the second unit, whether it's Jamal Murray, KCP, whoever, they'll have some assists. The Nuggets had 40 assists as, as a team tonight. Only 11 turnovers. That's a great number, and it shows that they were playing connected. And even the bench lineup was playing connected, even if it wasn't as good. I thought the defense really uh, struggled with the bench unit, more so even than the offense. But to me, Reggie, his mentality for the bench has to be he's got to be able to control the ball. You don't want him dominating it. You want him to be in control. Sometimes he plays out of control. Sometimes he plays out of uh, rhythm and out of pace a little bit. I do think that he could be better on that front. But the most important thing for Reggie Jackson going forward with this bench is just establishing rapport with every one of those guys. He had a really, really nice feed to Vlaco Chanchar on the corner tonight. Uh, just skip past to the corner. Uh, really, really like did some good things. And I like seeing that eight assist to one turnover. You want to cut down on some of the shots. I think there were some rushed shots, some, some rushed possessions on that front. He really just has a... It's not a careless release, but there's one. It's it feels like it's pretty nonchalant when he puts it up sometimes. So I want him to be like this is me talking like random media guy, but I if I if it were up to me, I would want him to be as in control and definitive with those possessions as he possibly can be. Maybe it's just his personality, maybe it's just his style that we're still trying to get adjusted to, but. It does feel like it's a little bit too relaxed at times and too uh, carefree. So it's it's hard to be carefree and also have an 8-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio, though. So clearly there is a balance being struck that he is still figuring out, and that is good. Like, you want to see him play through that stuff, and you want to see him look good with it. Um, let's take this off now. 
Vlatko Cancar. Airballed a shot tonight. I think this is his second one in a uh, second game in a row where he airballed a three. He didn't miss a free throw tonight, though. That's good. Had nine points on two of five from three. Uh, also had another shot inside the paint. Uh, one of one from the line. Four rebounds, three assists, one steal. Just very standard role player numbers. And the good thing about Flacco is he is a willing and able shooter. There was one little bit of hesitation from him earlier. But when he gets it, for the most part, for the most part, he is definitive with his shot and he has a quick trigger where he will get it in the corner or he'll get it on the wing. And if he makes the decision quickly that he has enough time to shoot it, he is going to shoot it. And he is a good enough shooter that teams have to close out to him. And if they don't get to him in time, then he's good enough to make a lot of those shots. And look, if he continues to make 40% of his threes on those spot-up attempts, that's good enough. You don't have to do anything else too crazy. And if you're not open, then he does a great job of facilitating other guys. So probably still needs to improve defensively just a little bit here. I think that he himself has gone through a little bit of a lull over the course of the last month. I think he could be better at various points, but uh, does have some good possessions, does have some good points where, like, you got the steal tonight. Uh, I think that was on a – was in a, in the backcourt for Houston where they were trying to get the ball up the court and he just anticipated the pass and uh, tipped it. Denver got a three out of it. And they – like, that's just – Good, good stuff. Good way to create some extra possessions for his team. So he does good things. And I think he's a better player than Jeff Green right now, which is probably the most important thing. He's a better player, a better fit for that second unit than what Jeff Green really provided. And that's not that's not a surprise at this point. But I do think that heading into the playoffs, one of the things that you want to know, is Vlatko that guy that you can trust? And over the course of these last 19 games, I think they're going to try to figure that out. So I think that he is trustable, or at least like early on in a playoff series, he's definitely trustable, but we're just going to have to see. Finally, uh, Thomas Bryant. I'm not going to cover Christian Brown. Christian didn't really play enough to, to really do it, but he had a nice uh, had a nice finish and transition. But Thomas Bryant, I did not think looked good. I thought that this was one of those games where Pretty much everybody that had he kind of ran up against, Usman Garuba, Alperin Shangun, Boban Marjanovic, whether he got switched on to somebody, it felt like he was rushed. It felt like he was out of control a little bit. Felt like he was pressing. Felt like he was wound too tight. I think I saw Harrison Wynn tweet that out, and I think that that's a salient point. That look, you feel it looks like he's a bit wound too tight, trying too hard to get things to work. I hope he knows that he has a little bit of a runway here, that as long as Jokic is playing the way that he's playing, Thomas Bryant isn't going to play a ton, but he's going to get opportunities pretty much every single game. Denver needs to play a backup five. They know how important that is, at least during the regular season. So they are going to continue to play him, and he is going to get better. How much better he gets, I don't know, but it does feel like he's missed some shots, uh, some jump hooks here, jumpers there feels like there are some opportunities that he's leaving on the table. And then on the defensive end, he's just not good. There are a couple blocks. He had two blocks tonight, uh, had eight rebounds, which is a great number. You want to see him grabbing as many rebounds as possible. But the three fouls that he had and the minus 10 that he had, I think is really, really definitive. Like To me, Jokic was like plus 31. Plus 31 in 28 minutes. 
Thomas Bryant played the other 20, and Denver was a minus 10. That to me tells a lot of the story that Denver, they are still trying to figure out the flow of things. They are still trying to figure out the balance of things when the bench is out there. It was good that they were able to play the Rockets tonight because the Rockets are horrible and they're able to sort of work through some of those issues. That's the most important thing that they can do right now. So over the course of these 19 games, it's with Reggie, it's with Flacco, it's with Thomas Bryant. You get them going in the right direction. And if you can, then Denver's going to be, like, they're going to be fine. They're going to be pretty good. Uh, I see this comment from Dr. Van Nostrand. Love the energy and passion Bryant plays with. He will settle in with more time. I do agree. I do agree with that for sure. Most important thing for Denver right now is to get everybody going in the right direction. And it feels like Bryant is just like, he's kind of like a bull in a china shop where he doesn't really have the direction that he needs to go and kind of break in a little bit of everything here or there. But it does seem to me like he, he can do these things. He can do it. We've seen what he does. Uh, Alexander says Bryant had moments in this game where you could see the impact he can have once he settles down. Again, firmly, firmly agree. Feels like Denver is on the right track with him. How much they're going to trust him in the playoffs, I don't really know. I think that this is going to be one of those things where you're not going to know until you get there. And with Thomas Bryant, he's a guy that you're like you're probably not going to cut from the rotation entirely, but the more you play Jokic, obviously, the less you play a guy like Thomas Bryant. So like I think this uh, this last LA Clippers game was actually a really good example of that. But uh, he played 11 minutes, and Jokic played 42 in an OT game. So that's just going to be how it works. So I don't think that they're going to go to AG at the 5 a ton. I don't think that they're going to go to Zeke Naji a ton. But when they do go small like that, Thomas Bryant won't be on the floor. Jokic won't be on the floor. And they will try to buy some minutes that way in different matchups. That is only going to be a thing, though, if Thomas Bryant can't get it done. So hopefully... We don't have to worry about that, but we will see. Tell you what, folks, let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to go over, uh, I think Robert says it here, the playoffs. We are going to go over the playoffs and the playoff picture for these Denver Nuggets. Should be a lot of fun. We will be right back. Pickaxe and Roll, final segment here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to go give this a like. Go subscribe to the MHS YouTube channel. Uh, seeing that, that channel grow as much as we have has been really, really rewarding, really, really cool. Uh, thank you, everybody, for doing so. Uh, shout out to my producer in the background, Michael, who is helping me out here. He's doing some great work. And we are we're well connected at the hip right now, trying to get this thing off the ground as much as possible. So hopefully things go well. All the successes that... If you see me having them, got to give credit to Michael, too. All right. Final segment here. Denver Nuggets, 44-19 record, 28-4 at home, 16-15 on the road. Saw a stat, or maybe it wasn't a stat. There was a certain, like, the percentage of teams that actually win the title over the course of the last decade, you have to have a positive road record. That was basically the gist of the stat. Denver right now is 16 and 15 at home. They have 10 more road games remaining. They've got nine more home games remaining. 
eight after this next game on Friday. So Denver's going to have a number of options on the road, a number of opportunities to make good on some good uh, some good play, but most of it's going to be against the Eastern Conference. So make of that what you will. Actually, I don't know if it's most. I think they've got like five and five right now. They're going to go on a five-game road trip. Pretty sure it's uh, Toronto, Detroit, Brooklyn, New York, Washington, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to have a lot of opportunities there to hopefully uh, bone up on that road record. Uh, but we will see as they go down the stretch if they continue to push on the road or not. But here's the thing that really makes a difference. I didn't update these magic numbers. I didn't update the West standings um, to include the games that I think just finished up here. Um, February 28th. What were some of these games? Okay, so Golden State Golden State won? Wow. Golden State won tonight. They outscored. Okay, hold on. Let me just let me just do this right now. Golden State outscored Portland 75 to 40 in the second half. Wow. Okay, so that changes up the standings that I'm about to show. So holy crap there. Uh but Denver, in terms of the actual um and then crap, the Clippers also lost. So that changes up the magic number for the uh for the top four seed, but is what it is. I think Denver's magic number for the top four seed right now is actually eight, if I'm not mistaken. But top of the West, I know, is 16. That is what matters most, 16 for top of the West. Denver needs a combined number of 16 wins or uh, 16 Memphis Grizzlies losses. So whatever adds up to 16 there. It's like 12 more Nuggets wins, four more Grizzlies losses, and then they will clinch the top seed into the Western Conference. That's what you need to know. 19 games to go. I do think that if Denver goes, what, 12-7 and seven over the course of the final uh, 19 games, that feels pretty reasonable. And then are the Memphis Grizzlies going to lose four more times between now and then? Yeah, I think they will. So we'll see how it goes. But in general, most important thing for Denver right now is to play well themselves, and then the rest of the West will take care of themselves. Um, yeah, man, looking through some of these comments here. Uh, yeah, guys, I, that, that Golden State game has me shook. They were not playing well at the beginning. Dame was dominating. And then Dame just didn't make another shot in the second half, basically. So that's great. That's hilarious. Uh, wow. West standings. These are obviously not updated uh, with the most recent remaining games to end, but this is just kind of as I filled them out earlier. Uh LA Clippers are now at 31 losses. Dallas is now at, well, I think they're 32 and 31. Minnesota's at 32 and 32, though. So this is going to be very, very interesting for the rest of the regular season for Denver. I think that it's going to be, like, Denver's not going to be standings watching that much. But what they are going to want to know is that being in the first seed, they're going to play one of these teams in the play-in tournament. They're going to be, the 7, 8, 9, 10, as you see scrolling across the bottom here. Dallas, I, I think Minnesota just passed them, actually. Or no, they actually didn't. Uh, Dallas, Minnesota, Utah, New Orleans. Those four teams are one of those teams will be the team that Denver plays in the first round. If it stands, if Portland doesn't break in, if the Lakers don't break in, if anything like that happens. If those teams stay like that, Golden State, out of the play-in. But they're also not on Denver's side of the bracket. 
So I think that's kind of a win-win for Denver. If they stay in the sixth seed and the Clippers stay in the five seed, Warriors could potentially match up with somebody else that and, and be on the other side of the bracket and maybe upset the Suns or somebody like that. Although right now in the Western Conference playoff picture, it looks like the Suns are in the four seed, so they would be slated to match up with the Nuggets in the first round. This to me is important to track. And Nuggets fans, I know you're going to want to track this going forward too. Because Denver, in in this position right now, with the seedings currently the way that they are, Denver's first round opponent would be Minnesota. I don't know if that flipped based off. No, I don't think it flipped. Uh, Minnesota would be their first round opponent. Second round opponent would be Phoenix, if Phoenix won in the 4-5 matchup. And the finals opponent, conference finals, would be Memphis. And those three teams, if you are going chalk, are the teams that Denver would run up against against in the Western Conference playoffs. They would not face the Los Angeles Lakers, who ESPN was so kind to pit against them in in one of their segments on Monday. Uh, They would not face the Golden State Warriors, who the Nuggets last lost to, and teams think would completely space out the Nuggets and the Nuggets wouldn't just score on them on the other end of the floor. Like, that's not something that would happen. Um, No, Denver would face Minnesota, who has gone through turmoil over the course of these last uh, few months. But they would get Carl Anthony Towns back. They would have Rudy Gobert. They have Anthony Edwards. That would be an interesting matchup. Uh, Kyle Anderson, J.D. McDaniels, those guys have played Denver pretty tough. There will be some lineups that they run out there with Edwards at the one, and then McDaniels, Anderson, Gobert, and Cat. It would be a supersized, super huge lineup where one of those guys, probably Jaden McDaniels, would guard Murray. And it would be a pretty interesting matchup, I think, from a schematic standpoint and from a a personnel standpoint. I do think that Denver's the better team, obviously. I do think that the Nuggets would ultimately figure it out. Jokic is one of those guys that would figure it out. But going up against Gobert and Cat in the first round wouldn't be a picnic by any stretch of the word. So Denver's going to have, like, no matter who comes out of it, Denver's going to have a tough time. I do think, though, that if it is, I mean, let's say it's, uh, say it's Dallas. Denver's, that's an easy one. Dallas is an easy one because even though they can score, the Nuggets are going to score against them. It's going to be a bloodbath for Dwight Powell in the paint for any of the Dallas Mavericks defenders. With Minnesota, you would at least be able to throw size. Like J.D. McDaniels is 6'9", Kyle Anderson 6'9", Cat I think is 6'11", and Gobert is 7 foot. So like those guys, you'd be able to throw size at Jokic. These other teams, like Utah, if they were able to make it, New Orleans, if they were able to make it, they have size and athleticism on the perimeter. Uh, maybe not at the one, but everywhere else. But Denver, like, I think they defeat any of those teams. I do. I still have respect for Minnesota, though. I do think that they are a team that obviously has been snake bitten, but you've seen what Cat can do. You can put up 25, 12, and 4 pretty easily and pretty efficiently. You just add that to the group that they already have, and it's not crazy to think that they could upset somebody. Do I think it will happen? No, because I think they've been a tire fire. But it is still on the table, unlike with the Lakers, who, if LeBron is actually out for three weeks or however long, 
they're probably going to go on a streak that's like one and eight. And if they do that, then they're out. And we can all celebrate that. Uh, second round opponent, Phoenix. Phoenix versus LA. Phoenix versus the Clippers in the first round. Actually a very interesting matchup. It's not perfect. Like, I do think that Devin Booker going up against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would be pretty interesting from that perspective. But Kevin Durant obviously changes that matchup. Historically, Kevin Durant has dominated against Kawhi Leonard. He has been able to score against him no matter what. And that's kind of a crazy thing to say, uh, given that it's Kawhi Leonard. He's a crazy, crazy good defender. But that Clippers team, they have the ability to switch everything. They have the ability to guard. And unless DeAndre Ayton really dominates in the middle of the floor against Zubac, against Mason Plumley, against guys like that, then I actually think that the Clippers have a chance to upset a team like the Suns. If that were to happen and Denver wins their matchup, then you get Nuggets Clippers in round two. Cool. Sign me up. That sounds great. Like that, that to me would be hilarious if the Clippers actually pulled off a nice little first round upset against the Suns and then their reward is to face the Nuggets. I think that they want to get to the six seed or the three seed, the Clippers, one of the two. They just want to avoid the Nuggets any way possible. But if they don't, if they have to run into them, then so be it. I think that Nicholas Batum in the last matchup against Denver on Sunday, I think that he actually showed some good things and that they benched him. And I think the reason for that was gamesmanship by Ty Lue. I think that that was the reason. We will see what actually happens, but if Denver were to run up against Phoenix, we know we haven't seen that matchup yet. We know that Kevin Durant is crazy. We know that it would be a really tough thing for Denver to match up with. But is Michael Porter going to show up in that series to guard a guy like KD? Maybe. Is Aaron Gordon going to show up in that series to guard a guy like KD? Probably. Is Jokic going to be able to punish DeAndre Ayton? Probably. I think that this time around with the spacing that he has, not having to do with Faku Campazzo and Austin Rivers as a spacing backcourt, I think that they will be able to play a little bit better. But we will see. Uh, and then finally, Memphis. I'm looking forward to this Friday matchup. I think that this Friday matchup is going to be really interesting for a number of reasons. You've had a blowout one way back in December when Memphis came to town and they put up 91 points. And then Denver went to Memphis and put up 94. So like neither of those teams could shoot in the other team's house. I think that that'll be different this time around when Memphis comes to town. I think that they will be able to normalize. Desmond Bain will be there. He changes the, the spacing for them. He figures some stuff out. I think that in general, Memphis is going to be one of those teams that will compete with Denver. But most of the time, it will look like one of the two matchups we've already seen. Not necessarily a really close game. I think that the shooting is going to be a really big difference. And if it goes Denver's way, then Denver's winning by 15. If it goes Memphis's way, then Memphis is probably winning by 15. Uh, I don't think that they play a lot of close games. They haven't in the past, honestly. Like There was one close game that I can remember against Memphis, but most of the time, Denver either runs away with it or Memphis kind of blitzes Denver. So we will see what it actually looks like. Could Memphis get through the, to the conference finals? Can they actually do that? If they were to face, I don't know, let's just look at these standings again real quick. 
if they were to face Dallas in the first round, that's actually a really good matchup for Dallas. Like, believe it or not, Memphis has really, really struggled to guard Luka Doncic. And if they also have Kyrie Irving out there, that could be a situation where they just struggle to defend. And if they struggle to defend and they have to keep pace with Dallas, that would be really, really interesting. Do I think that that's actually going to happen? No, I think I, I would still favor Memphis in that series, but you play them and then Sacramento's going to play Golden State in the 3-6. If that were to come out in, in this particular standing setup, let's just say Golden State wins that one with Steph Curry. I think that they probably would. Um, Golden State versus Memphis again? Man, <laughs> that's a toughie. That is a toughie. I do not think that Golden State is as good of a team as they were last year, and I don't know if Memphis is either. I think that Memphis had some good things going for them last year. Not sure if I necessarily think that they're better this year, but we'll just have to see. Uh, them losing Kyle Anderson and uh, DeAnthony Melton, I think, hurts, especially in a matchup against Golden State. But we will see what it actually looks like. We'll see whether they actually make it. But if Denver were to play Memphis in a conference finals, I would definitely favor Denver. I think that Denver's the better team. And I think that they have the better matchups. I do think that if Steven Adams is out there, the Nuggets cook. And I think that even if Jaron Jackson moves over to the five, or if they have somebody like Xavier Tillman out there, Denver would figure that out over the course of a series. There's no doubt in my mind. So going to be interesting to see what happens there. But I want to wrap up with this one little thing. There was a clip that went around on Monday of the panel of guests on NBA Today where Malik Andrews was hosting. They were talking about the Lakers. They were talking about what their ceiling is. And I know that Nuggets fans, especially the ones that listen and watch to this podcast, they know what I'm talking about. They said on the, like I think Malika asked, if the Lakers were to match up with the Nuggets, like raise your hand if you would favor the Lakers over the Nuggets in a series. And all four of them raised their hands. It took a little bit of hemming and hawing from Vince Carter, but uh, Ramona Shelburne, who's in the pocket for Clutch already and in the pocket for the Lakers already, she was very quick, uh, quick to say, hey, like that's that's definitely a matchup that I like. Uh, you have two former players in Tristan Thompson and, um, gosh, it was Vince Carter. They both said so. And then you had Mark Spears, who's based in L.A. already. So, look, it's always going to be a thing. It's always going to be a thing with the MVP race, with the belief in the Nuggets, with everything that the Nuggets franchise kind of stands for, which is consistency and solidity and not necessarily crowing and doing everything to the media, not necessarily having drama. Denver is the least dramatic team in the league. The most drama that they faced over the course of these last couple of years, is whether Jamal Murray was going to come back before the playoffs. That's really it. And honestly, like Bones Highland, <laughs> like Bones Highland kind of being in the limelight, saying on national, or Chris Haynes saying on national TV that Bones has basically requested a trade. Like, that's the most drama that Denver gets into. And they cut loose from that pretty quickly. You don't hear a lot about it because Denver doesn't deal with it. They don't like to deal with it. Jokic, in these situations all the time, he, he looks at drama and he says, why are we doing this? Are we just going to play basketball or not? And Denver, they follow suit. 
They just want to be basketball players. They just want to win the games. They don't really care about the awards. I think that there is some, like... No, I I got the narrative from stat padding. Like, that, that is something that pops up every now and then. And do I think that Jokic knows what his numbers are? Yes. Do I think that he is any worse than any other player? Absolutely not. Like, a lot of guys are going to go for their assists and rebounds in different categories. But we've seen Jokic fall short of points. We've seen Jokic fall short of one assist, one rebound pretty consistently in a lot of these games. It isn't necessarily like he tried. Like, it often gets to that point where it's just naturally, hey, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. That's just how it kind of finishes. And I think you see it tonight. 14 rebounds, or 14 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. But the 10 assists came pretty natural. There wasn't anything crazy there. Like, oh, oh man, they were really hunting to try to get somebody else a dish. Like, what are we doing? And yet ESPN has kind of ran with a lot of these narratives that Jokic is stat batting. Uh, Kendrick Perkins is really perpetuating that thing. That's not actually, like, I can joke about it. And say, hey, look, in this one little moment where uh, it's really funny because I watch it every single time. I know that Kendrick Perkins, the only time that he watched Denver was at the end of the Dallas game. Like, that's the only time. It's all of us. And there's no criticism with that. It's just, you got to speak on what you know. And I just don't think he knows. I don't think any of them know. I think that the people that follow the team know. I think that the team that see it, that go through the nitty gritty, that are here, I know who's been in the building. I know who's been talking with the Nuggets. I know who's been around. And I know who has not been around. And I know, like I saw J.J. Redick on Sunday. And I made direct eye contact. I'm sitting courtside pregame. J.J. was there. He talked about all the things that he's going to talk about. And then on Monday, he drops that podcast. And the big quote that comes out of it, what the fuck are you watching? What? Like, I mean, it's crazy some of the things that Jokic haters will go through. It's crazy some of the things that Denver Nuggets haters will go through. That was a great quote. And I'm glad that it came from a former player. Because JJ, I think, has more respect and, I think, commitment from NBA fan bases that know how much he watches, that know how smart he is, that know he is doing this, like, not disingenuously. Like he's not trying to preach to a narrative. He's just trying to get to the point. And that's a great thing about JJ and what he has done at ESPN and for all the platforms that he's been on. I wish there was more of that. When I say ESPN disrespect the Nuggets, definitely don't mean JJ Redick. Definitely don't mean Zach Lowe, who knows watching, who I know understands the stuff, who pushed back pretty vociferously on his podcast that Denver were to lose to the Lakers when talking to Dave McVenaman. It is insanity that the Nuggets have to keep going through this. But the fact is, is that they will continue to go through this until they win. Nothing's going to change. Jokic could win the next seven MVPs. He could win the next, or Denver could win the next 18 Western Conference first first seats. They could do it all. They could have a plus 12 net rating in the regular season. And people would be like, cool. It doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to. Like, you got to look a little bit deeper. And then Denver's going to have to do the thing in the playoffs. 
people don't believe that they're going to do it. I don't think anybody really does. I think there are some that are like, okay, they could. But do we really think we're really going to bet the horse on Denver doing it? When Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and all these guys and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who are the 12th seed, we're not going to worry about that. That's all it is. Nuggets fans, you got to keep your heads held high. You have to be above the noise. I got frustrated with it yesterday just because, man, it, it was ugly and it was disgusting. The stuff that comes out about Jokic a lot of the time is gross. And frankly, it's beneath all of you. So don't get soiled with it. Just be above the noise. Jokic is going to have to prove it. And I think that nobody that is a Nuggets fan disagrees about that. Nobody that is a Nuggets fan believes that Jokic doesn't have anything to prove. Like, they know how good he is, and they know that he will deliver. The timing and the opportunity is what matters. The timing of everything really matters here. He's going to get his third MVP, and is going to put a big old bullseye on his back. Everybody's going to go after him again. They're going to be vociferously attacking him again. And it's going to be on him and it's going to be on the Nuggets to rise above that in this year's playoffs. I think that they will do it. I think that they can do it, of course. And I think that they will do it. I think that they should be favored to win the Western Conference. Do I think that they should be favored to win the title? No. Because their path is going to be harder than teams like Boston and Milwaukee. Boston and Milwaukee, they've got an easy first round bye. You don't have to worry about the first round in the Eastern Conference. you got to worry about it in the West. Like, these teams are good. These teams are really good. A lot of these other teams are messes in the East. So, look, Denver's going to have to prove it. There are no excuses. I just made an excuse for them. Oh, man, it's a little bit tougher in the West. It can't matter. If they have to go through the toughest road, so be it. you got to be the best team. got to rise to the top. The difference between me and ESPN is that I actually think that they can do it. And I think that they will do it. And Nuggets fans, I hope you've seen enough now to prove that they can do it too. Michael, hit that outro music. Folks, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for hopping into the comments with me. Thank you so much for listening in. I really do appreciate all the love. I think that everybody here, uh, you guys are real ones. Thank you so much for staying up late. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Hit a like, hit the subscribe button on the show, on the YouTube side of things. If you are seeing all this on the podcast side of things, make sure to give a rating and review. Those always really help. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. I'll talk to you guys very soon.